used to these things. Um, I am Cheryl Marklin. I'm the Children's and Family Ministry Strategist from the Baptist State Convention. Um, I have been in children's ministry for a long time. About I've been on staff at uh, between two churches in the convention for I think 26, 27 years and was a volunteer for a long time before that. And um, I am so thankful that you've chosen to come. Um, I do want you to know ahead of time this is Make It Count at Home and this is about children's ministry. Uh, sometimes people get in the room and... Um, they didn't read the number on the door or whatever. And I told the group this morning, I said, they, they, all of a sudden you say children's ministry and their eyes get really big and they're like, oh no, I'm in the wrong. I mean, it's like Tower of Terror or something. So, uh, and then they, they decide to step out. So I do want you to know um, that this is a children's ministry conference. Um, this morning we spent time talking about how do you make it count at church, making sure that you're teaching uh, for all, all it's worth for the, the great value. And so, but we recognize that the predominance of a child's life is under the responsibility of their parents. And that's the way God designed it. So we're gonna work through Deuteronomy 6 and look at some of the principles, because I think that is one of the clearest places you'll find in the Bible about parents' responsibility to teach their kids. Um, if you watch the news or you, especially if you work with teenagers in any capacity, everybody thinks that the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Uh, everybody is terrified for our teenagers and for our world's culture. But I want you to think back to the 1950s, late 1950s, when Elvis arrived on the scene. <clears throat> he was on Ed Sullivan, swiveling his hips and the cameras cut away real fast. And everybody said, our world's going to hell in a handbasket. Uh, think back to the roaring 20s with the flappers. And what did people say? The world's going to hell in a handbasket. Um, if you look back at some of the ancient Greek philosophers, some of their writings, you're going to think it was written two weeks ago. Because they thought the world was going to hell in a handbasket. And sometimes that might be true. Um, we look at the, the advent of social media, that is something new. And it has created um, some really hard times for the church and for families uh, because teenagers and even young children are so heavily influenced by what they see on social media. Um, they, it has become socially acceptable to be a nun, N-O-N-E-S, meaning that um, to say, I have no belief whatsoever. I don't believe any of it. You're crazy if you do. Uh, Christian performers who over and over come out and saying that they are walking away from their faith, they're deconstructing their faith, which to me implies it is like a building that they're tearing down. And so um, what do we do? How do we work in response to what we're seeing in the culture? <clears throat> and so we're going to look at Deuteronomy 6.1 to start us off. Deuteronomy 6.1 says, This is the command, the statutes and ordinances, the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you so that you may follow them, follow them in the land you're about to enter and possess. And I got thinking about this when I was working on this conference the other day. 
that the people of the Hebrews had been in the desert for 40 years. The people who had originally left Egypt, who had that Egyptian culture, um, all died in the desert. And a new generation was getting ready to enter the promised land. They had lived their whole life as nomads and the culture of a nomad. And they were getting ready to enter a promised land where they had no culture. There was no established culture. And God is saying from day one, this is the culture I want you to build. So, and this is how you're going to do it. This is the law. This is the ordinances. This is the rules. This is the standards. This is what I want you to follow. I'm going to lay it out right here. There's no question. If you do these things, you're going to create a culture that pleases me. And so I had never thought about them entering and needing to build a culture. And that's what God was calling them to do. They needed that culture. In Deuteronomy 6 2, hold on just a second. In Deuteronomy, <coughs> excuse me, 6 2, God gives a promise for the future. Now, this promise is conditional. It's conditional on them building the culture that he desires. And he says, do this, <coughs> excuse me, so that you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life. And by keeping his statutes and commands I'm giving you, by building this culture, your son, your grandson, uh, and will have a long life. So it's a promise. If you build the culture, a biblical culture, you will have a long and fruitful life. And this shows God's desire for generational discipleship. That the dad is responsible to teach his son and the son is to teach his son and so forth. Um, I have grandkids now. And that is just like, I don't know why God don't give you grandkids first. Of course, if he gives you grandkids first, you wouldn't have children. But... <clears throat> It is a great joy on my part to share the things of God with them. Amen. You know, I want them to be strong followers of Christ. But I see with my daughter that she's not as engaged with the church as I was. And <clears throat> because of that, I, I have a fear that my granddaughters are not going to be as engaged. And so I, it is part of my responsibility to be, to disciple them. If they're not going to get it at church, then I want to make sure they're getting it somewhere. So I want to be part of that process of generational discipleship. Now, why did God want generational discipleship? There was no church. There were no YouTube channels. There was no Christian TV, Christian radio, nothing that we have today. I mean, it, we, should, it, we should be the most... Um, Christian nation on earth if you look at resources, Christian resources. And I think you would all agree we're not. So it's not the resources that are important. The, it's how we use the resources and how our hearts are set toward generational discipleship, making sure the next generation follows Christ. But let's look at Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 25. I know this is long, but I'm, and I'm just going to pick a couple of them, the verses out. 
When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he would give you a land with large and beautiful cities that you did not build, houses full of every good thing that you did not fill them with, cisterns you did not dig, vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. When you eat and are satisfied, be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. How many of you live in a house you did not build? How many of you ate food that you did not grow? See anything familiar here? <laughs> this applies to us too, just as much as it applied to the early Hebrews. God saying, I'm taking you into a land, into a blessed land. And, and you may not fully appreciate what, what I'm giving you because you didn't create it. You didn't have to work hard to make it happen. But when you go in, when you create this new culture, it's going to be easy to look at the cultures all around you, all the other cities and nations, and think that they've got it together or that this is the way we're supposed to do things because they're living in houses. They're living with orchards. They're living with gardens. You know, things that you haven't had in many years. And so it's going to be easy to think that you need to imitate them and imitate their culture. Um, when I made a list here, I thought, you know, when we look at this scripture, it's easy to think, first of all, life happens. You know, why is fostering a culture of discipleship important? Because life happens. And it's easy for us to get lost in the doing of life. Um, right now I'm struggling with some personal things that, with care of my mother. Things that I didn't anticipate happening. Thing, and, and it's easy for me sometimes to get so focused on making sure that, that she's taken care of well that everything else in my life fades away. You know, if you're dealing with financial issues, marital issues, family issues, kid issues, it's easy for that life to happen and for um, you to forget what God has called you to do initially. Uh, the power of cultural influences, I think, has never been stronger. But here in verses 13 through 15, it says, Fear the Lord your God, worship Him, and take your oaths in His name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God. Otherwise, the Lord your God will become angry with you and obliterate you from the face of the earth. Man, I think if I knew somebody was going to obliterate me from the face of the earth, I would pay attention to what I was doing. But the power of cultural influences has never been stronger. That's why discipleship at home is so critical. That's why we need to get parents engaged in the process. Um, I asked this question this morning. How many hours are there in a week? 168. 168. If you get kids one hour a week, which is rare for you to get them every week for one hour, that is less than one half of 1% of your week. So who's got the rest of the time? Mom and daddy. They need, that's why from the beginning, God's plan was for families to be the generational, to be the disciple makers of their families, 
of their kids because, you know, back then there was no Sunday school. There was no children's church. There was no vacation Bible school. And so this is where it was set. This is what God's plan was from the very beginning. Um, God promises a blessed life if you live in this culture. Does that mean it's going to always be an easy life? <laughs> that there aren't going to be challenges? No, but he says he will be with you. Um, a, a, disciple, a, a culture of discipleship also gives you opportunities opportunities to use teachable moments. Let's look at verse 20. It says, When your son asks you in the future what is the meaning of the decrees, statutes, and ordinances that the Lord your God has commanded you, tell him. And that's when you tell the story. I, I think it's so cool when they were getting ready to enter the promised land, they were told to go in and pick 12 stones and come out and make, a, make a, um, an altar. Now, part of it was just that moment, that teachable moment of go in and do it. But it was also creating opportunities for future teachable moments. You know, have you ever, I, I thought, you know, it would be cool if everybody had a 12 stones in their backyard. You know, you might want to go home and make your, where we have Zen gardens, you may want to go home and make you a stone garden. Put your 12 stones there. And I think it would be cool to take those, when the kids ask, what's this pile of rocks for? And then on your own, come up with 12 things, 12 ways God has blessed your family. Let them help you name what those 12 things are. You know, you may even want to take some paint. You know how they paint the big rocks in front of the school with the kid's birthday thing? Why not paint those rocks and make it a living, teachable moment in your backyard? What a, you know, what a great way to disciple your kids as you tell the stories. There was a lady that I got to work with back in Greenville and uh, something her and her family had done that was like that, where she had, it was like uh, these little number blocks and it was a very small numerical number. It was like $13.20 or something. Yeah. But they had it displayed in their house and apparently it was a reminder of a time where they were trying to start a brand new ministry and just had 13 bucks How in about their account. That? And somehow it was like, they didn't even tell everybody what was going on, but it was just like groceries showed up at their house, people randomly dropped money off, and it was like they only really had that dollar amount, but God brought them through the whole month, and then they, they've shared that story with all their kids now, and now their grandparents. So it's like that's cool. kind of cool. So. I think it would be kind of similar to that. I think it would be cool even in a, in a home Maybe if, as a church, you may want to, if you want to, like if you're a pastor and you want to preach a sermon on it, um, give each family a chalkboard that you've had 12 stones, you know, on these vinyl stick on. It's something that they can write in each rock and it could change that way if it's done in chalk or white marker. You know, that's a great way. It's an opportunity to, for you to disciple and remember who God is. It can be a place where uh, you point to for worship, for your family worship. I just think it's, it's critical for us to use those moments. Uh, I've heard of families when they see a uh, UPS truck. Y'all know that story. What do you do? United Prayer Service or something. And so they, they, they use it as a reminder to pray. Uh, families who, if they're riding down the road and they see a police car or an ambulance, they pray for whatever situation's going on. 
Use those, te teach your parents to use those teachable moments as you walk through life. Um, and create your own teachable moments. I know of parents who put um, scripture on their mirror. Let the kids write it with a dry erase marker or even permanent marker will come off glass. You know, write those verses on glass or on a mirror somewhere as a reminder that uh, to, to teach that scripture, to use that scripture in the week. Those are simple things to, to tools that you can give your parents to help them uh, use teachable moments. And then that generational influence we see reflected in verses 21 through 25 where it says, uh, where you tell the story. Tell them we were slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand. Um, he inflicted great and devastating signs on Egypt, on Pharaoh and his household, but he brought us from there in order to lead us in and give us the land that he swore to our fathers. It's like, this bad thing happened, but this is how God used it. This bad thing happened, but God redeemed it this way. It's because kids are going to see bad things happen. All they have to do is watch the news or they hear your parents talk over here a conversation and they know bad things happen. But how can you help your kids see God in even the bad times and train your parents to think, think about it that way? Part of it's going to be... A, changing their hearts, uh, helping them learn to see God in whatever's going on in life. It's funny you say that because I, I wrote down, we, if we only get the, the kids for maybe two hours a week, then we got to go to the parents. But wait a minute, we only get the parents for maybe two hours a week. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But this is where the cool thing for me is if you have a family ministry mindset, where you see that your church, if this is a priority of your church to, to make sure your parents are disciple makers at home, it may mean you restructure how you think about small group and Sunday school for adults. And, and there's the, I mean, obviously it's God working. So how many times do our children actually minister to us? Yeah, absolutely. So I, they do. I believe that happens in, the, in, in those homes where, okay, the parents are maybe trying a little bit, but then... They lose focus because life happens. Yeah. Uh, and then, then the kid reminds them, uh, you know, with yeah. something. Yeah, it goes back and forth. Sometimes the kids are the teachable moment. Yeah. So for all. But I would encourage you, part of what I'm going to talk about today is learning to think about what we are already doing in new ways. So it may mean your Sunday school classes um, have a family focus. You know, maybe once a month, instead of having the traditional Sunday school, you bring all the parents together with coffee and donuts and have, a, have a, uh, somebody come in and talk about how do we disciple our kids at home? What are some concrete ways? What are some things we need to be thinking about? It may be that you do it, um, if you do a quarter, like once a, one month of the quarter, you do parents or preschoolers. The next month, you do parents of children. Then you do parents of teenagers. And you, you know, target the specific needs of the age group. That's just an idea. But um, use what you got. Rather than, parents don't necessarily want a whole bunch of new things on their calendar. They're busy as I'll get out already. So use what you've got, what's working well. Have a clear sense of what you want to accomplish. What's your why? 
And then wash your what? Let your what come out of your why. Why? Because God has called parents to, be, to disciple their children at home. So what's our what how, and our how? How are we going to make that happen um, within the confines of the time and structure that we have in place? So it's kind of changing your focus, changing the lens just a little bit. Now, how do we create a culture of discipleship in our homes? Um, this is to help you help parents. When we look at Deuteronomy 6.4, it starts off with what's the Shema. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so from that verse, we learn that um, respect for authority is critical. This is something that's, you know, everybody, I, I, this sounds, I hope this connection makes sense. When my kids, my kids are in their 30s now. When my kids were in elementary school, every elementary school I went in said, if you can believe it and you can achieve it. And look at what would they, I, I think that that is, um, we want kids to be encouraged to do what God has called them to do. But then at the same time, if they believe something that is not moral or right, they still think they can achieve it. They can be that. And part of it is, I think, a lack of respect. I know I'm showing my age, guys. I'm sorry. But a respect for authority and the authority of God. To me, it's this respect for the authority of God begins with respect for authority of parents. And we have to help parents understand what that means. That that doesn't mean you go into the home with a sledgehammer. But how do you build respect for yourself as a parent through how you parent? But the other side of that is they have the. I see a lot of times today, and I'm probably showing my age too. <laughs> but the parents don't have a respect for authority themselves, right? And right. the kids see that, right? Yeah, it goes. It goes. They model. They they're going to model what they see. But what we see in verse six four is um, God built authority for the people, or built respect for his authority in these ways. <clears throat> First is he was faithful in his provision for the needs of the Hebrews. When they spent that 40 years in the desert, they said when they got to the end of the 40 years, their clothes had not worn out, their shoes had not worn out, um, they, had, they were nourished, they had what they needed. It's like when they entered the promised land is when manna stopped materializing because they were going to a land that could meet their need. God never let them down. He was faithful to his word. He was faithful to what he promised. So they knew they could trust him. Trust is a huge part of authority. I mean, we can build authority, um, res respect for authority through fear or through trust. My kids trust me because they know that what I say, I'm going to do. Whether it's good or whether it's a form of discipline or whatever. Um, and so helping parents understand that that respect begins with how they treat their kids is critical. But that God has called them to be the leaders, not their buddies. And so 
Um, he also demonstrated his authority through his displays of mercy and grace. There were times I know, and we read in scripture where God just wanted to flatten them like a pancake. And there were times that the discipline was brutal, but it was in response to behavior that warranted it. They had earned the discipline they received. And so, but God's displays of mercy and grace demonstrate how they could trust him. Um, he honored his word in blessings and consequences and discipline. And he offered clear direction through the authority of Moses. I think that's part of that trust thing. They knew they could trust Moses to lead them in the way because of Moses' relationship with God. You know, Moses, th there was just the one time, and this, this breaks my heart when I read that, one time Moses messed up and because of that he wasn't allowed to enter the promised land. I mean, he had great responsibility, great blessing, but um, all it took was one time of messing up and the consequence was, was tough. That, that illustrates that Moses himself was not obedient to God. Yeah, that one time he had that, that one major fail, and, but there was consequence. He wasn't he wasn't an exception to the rule. The rules were for everybody. That's another way you build respect for authority is that the rules are for everybody. Now, there's sometimes you display mercy and grace through those rules, but it doesn't mean that you're not held accountable. Um, and then expressing expectation of respect and fear of God. God ex said, you must do this. If you want this, you will love and fear and respect me. He expected it. I think sometimes parents don't expect uh, respect. And we, our kids, bless their hearts, they see on TV where parents are buffoons, especially dads. They're just the object of jokes. It's hard to respect the guy who always does the dumb things. And that's been in sitcoms for years, years. now. But I, th I think we're paying, paying for some of that. But how does mom respect dad? They say men won't respect, women won't love. Offering that respect begins with mom and, and expecting it for, from kids. I know my own daughter, it, it kind of tickles me in a way because her little one is six and she'll go, I want some juice. And my daughter doesn't go crazy about it. She goes, excuse me, may I have some juice, please? And so it's that training, training for respect. It's not something that naturally, uh, that happens naturally, but it's training for that and recognizing um, parents need to expect it too. Because our kids need to know what respect for authority is. Because that's going to translate into respect for teachers, and others in authority over them. And then provide, and God provided the answers to the wise. You know, why were they in the desert? Why were they chosen to be his special people? Um, let's look at the rest of uh, this passage. Verse 5 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And we're going to look at those three things. You're to love God with all your heart. Now this thing, this blows me away. You have to understand Hebrew thought that 
they had no concept that thought was in the brain. They, that, I don't even know if they knew the brain, what the function of the brain was. Everything, thought, uh, heart, purpose, everything started in the heart. And so when they say love God with all your heart, it's more than this Valentine heart kind of thing. This was like all that you think, all that you purpose, all that you plan. Love God when he says love him with all your heart. It's loving with all of this, um, with your physical abilities, with your choices. Uh, my friend Mary does um, youth ministry, and she did an amazing job uh, discipling her two boys. Uh, her, there, there was an issue, her sad story, she ended up being a single parent early. Her kids were like one in five. But she talks about how she talked with her boys um, she did not necessarily tell them, you must do this, you must do that. But she gave them guidelines. She gave them wisdom. She gave them a lens for making decisions. And so that they knew from early on that if they made a choice this way, it was going to pull them away from God. If they made a choice this way, it was going to draw them to God. And so that was their balance. That was their scale. Will this choice draw me closer to God or drive me further away from God's purpose and plan for my life. That God had a beautiful plan for them. God had a beautiful plan for the Hebrews. But the choices they made drove them off His path. And so helping our parents, help our kids have those kind of conversations about um, God has a plan for you from the time they're little. God has a plan for your life. Because if God has a plan for your life, it doesn't matter how you look or what your abilities are. He's given you what you need to fulfill His plan and His purpose. I mean, when we talk about identity with kids, the idea that God has a unique plan for my life, wow, I must be something else if God has a plan set aside for me. And how am I going to live out that plan? Tell me, Mom. Is this choice going to help me uh, be closer to God's plan for my life? Or is it going to drive me further away from that plan? Help your parents uh, with those kind of conversations. Because it may be something they've never even thought of on their own. That heart implies about emotional needs, your wills and affection, and your mental drive, your plans, strategies, and life opportunities. You're going to love God with all of your life. You know, it's not just Sunday morning that I'm going to sit on the back row and be a good, good Baptist. That all week long, I want to show, live my life in a way that shows God that I love Him with all that I am. Now, what about loving Him with all the soul? Uh, what's interesting is the word soul here means that your life. It says when God breathed life into Adam, He gave him nephesh. He gave him life. So, it's your life, it's the breath, it's your personality, it's your personhood, uh, it's your meanness, it's what makes you who you are. So I'm going to love God with all that, all that I am. You know, I'm an introvert by nature. I'm a, I tell people I'm a functional extrovert. <laughs> but I'm an introvert by nature. And there was times, if you're an introvert, there's times that you struggle with small talk and 
and uh, fitting in and all you want to do when there's a crowd is run and you see other people who are just so popular who get in the middle of the crowd and they thrive and they work and it's just so much fun and you're sitting back going, why can't I be that way? But you know what? God made me to be an introvert for his purpose because he knew I needed to be comfortable being by myself to think and create and write. But there was a time I was down on myself because I did not love God with my meanness. I didn't know what my meanness meant. I didn't know that he created me that way and it was okay. And so helping um, parents help their kids who don't fit in because God has created their meanness in a unique way. And love God with all your strength. Um, that word, we think that it was translated in one, one way, strength, as strength. And we think about it being this way, or our body. But what it really means is muchness. When it says that, um, when God says that what he's created is good, and then he says people were very good, they were meod good. That's muchness. It's, it's the, the vitality, it's your wealth, it's your talents and giftedness. It's the thing, it's the um, bounty of your life. And love God with that too. Now these, word, these words are to be on your heart. What in the world does that mean? The key to discipling our children is personal discipleship. We talked about changing, kind of rethinking how we do what we already do. This is key to that. Personal discipleship, helping our parents understand that they can't give what they don't have or own. And so they've got to pay attention to their own personal discipleship so that they're teaching. They say the best teaching comes from the overflow of your heart. And so you need to help your adult leadership understand that excellence in adult discipleship is going to translate into excellence in discipleship at home. Helping parents. I told some of you this morning, I said, I'm 64 and I grew up in a time when um, you didn't talk about sex, how much money you made or what you believed. There were just certain things you didn't talk about in, in polite company. You know, you may talk to your, uh, your best friend when nobody else was around, but you just didn't talk about them in, in polite company or in mixed company. You just didn't do that. And so for me, when I went on staff at a church or began working with kids and taking discipleship seriously, and to begin talking about things of God in a natural way where I didn't have this mental barrier to my words where they, my tongue didn't stick to the roof of my mouth as I got ready to say God, um, it took time, it took practice. And so even sometimes how we teach our adults is to sit them in a circle like I'm doing right now and just talk and talk at you and talk at you and talk at you. But giving adults a chance to use faith-based vocabulary where that becomes a natural thing it's going to translate into them being comfortable doing that at home. It's going to be, help them be comfortable having family worship. And also, in so much of what we do, and teach, we, we make the assumption that people actually care enough to want to do something about it. Absolutely. But I'm afraid we have tons of people just 
they might show up because this is what we do or this is what we've always done or whatever yeah. but they're and they might sit there they might even take notes but it's not until we engage them in discussion that we really find out are they willing are they willing to like really live this out sure know? absolutely and especially live it out at home in front of their kids and do they see the need for it yeah do they see the do need for it that's it, huge do they value it enough to stop being distracted by everything in the world and, and their responsibilities and even good things like being distracted by taking care of their kids right and that's what I'm asking you to do, to reconsider how you can challenge, how you can make this a priority. Um, I teach a class, a Foundations of Children's Ministry class. And one of the first sessions I teach, I tell them I teach what I wish somebody had taught me. And the first session I teach is on answering the question, why? You know, I tell people, I was really good at buying blue construction paper and goldfish. We never ran out. <laughs> but blue, con blue construction paper and goldfish is not going to get a child to heaven. It's going to get me a pat on the back, but it ain't going to get them to heaven. And so, and it's not that that's not important, don't get me wrong. But I've never had anybody sit down and have a conversation with me about why are you doing what you do? And I want to challenge you to go back and have that conversation with your staff, uh, with yourself, with your families. Why are you doing what you do? Are you doing what you do to be a disciple maker who makes disciples, a disciple who makes disciples? Ideally, your goal is to help parents understand that they are first and foremost to be a disciple of Christ. What does that mean? If I were going to paint a picture, if I were going to have a vision of a disciple maker, a parent who is a disciple maker, what would, I, what would be in that picture? Ask yourself, what would be in that picture? And then you plan ministry around that, around that vision. You plan backwards from that. All right, if I have a vision, what are some things? Okay, I'm going to ask you. What are some things that you would want to see if you were painting a picture of a parent or a family that takes discipleship of their children seriously? What would be in that picture? Okay, great. That's a great one. Somebody else? Parents that turn any discussion towards God and what He has done, how He made whatever it is going on possible. Yeah. Parents who make a priority of family worship. Family worship. That's let other things come first. Okay. What else? Prayer together. Prayer together. Something else. Serving together. Serving together. Okay. You've got a picture now. Now, what you have to do with your vision picture? How are we gonna? How are we gonna get the color that goes in that picture? What's our strategy? Well, if we do what we do at church. Is it going to lead to this? Or why do I need to add? What do I need to be doing to create, to make that vision a reality? You know, are there things that we're doing toward in, in service to this vision? You maybe have some great things. It may be some things that just need tweaking. But you may discover that there are whole areas that you're not covering at all. 
And it may, but you have to know you can't do it all at one time either. It's much better to do one or two things well and then add the next thing. Well, all of this really, well, the, some of the yeah. major points that you just made really flows out of one of the points that the speaker made this morning about how we got to get better at empowering other people to disciple others. Right. Uh, and in this case, it's the parents. Yeah. If we recognize, if, if, our, if, if one of the whys of our church is generational discipleship, um, the way that's going to translate to the senior adults in your church, what is our legacy going to be? What do we need to do to build, a, to, to leave a legacy for the, for the uh, future generations? You know what? When you go in saying we're going to change things up, you're going to have people, the first thing they're going to do is, whoa, wait a minute. So having that why, our why is creating a generation of the next generation of, of disciples of Christ, however you want to do it. I think one of the biggest things that I hear when I talk to other mothers and, and just people in general and families is we need to see our children for what they are. And they're yeah. sinners and then in need of a savior. Absolutely. Um, you know, they're precious, yes, but they are sinners. They are sinners. We need Jesus. And our jobs as parents is to show them for them to see how, how truly sinful they are and how much they need that Savior. Yeah, to, to live a gospel lifestyle. Yeah. That's where discipline, that's a whole other conference, discipline becomes an opportunity to share the gospel. And it's, you know, moms all the time say, like, oh, they made a mistake. I'm like, no, you sinned against your sister. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, and, and using the correct vocabulary sure. for what we're doing here. Right. Um, not masking things. Right. So what this past week, we've been going over the whys, why our church exists, and the last one was to come alongside parents, and the pastor made a good point, especially on that first point right there, the personal discipleship is, he's like, yeah, he goes, your faith won't pass down. He said, but your child's faith is taught as much as it is taught. Right. He's like, so if they don't see you in your Bible, they don't see you living the life, if they see you screaming obscenities at people all the time, that, that's, what yeah. that's what they're catching. Right. You know, the, that thing of your walk's got to match your talk. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's so much truth to that. That's what I was going to say a while ago when, you, when I was, um, we can't say one thing to the world at church and live something else at home in front of our kids. Because Absolutely. Because they're never going to want to say what we teach. Right. I mean, they're never going to want to do yeah. what we teach. They're going to call us out for what it is. Mm -hmm. But it goes back to, all right, if this is our vision, if these are the, the traits, if this is the, the parts of the picture, then we take this and we work back. Mm -hmm. Stephen Covey says you work with the abbreviated version of what he says is you work with the end in mind. So that means as you plan ministry, what can we do in the infant room to help train parents to be uh, disciple makers at home? In our, in our preschool, in our first through third grade, what do we want parents to be doing at home? And we help them understand that it's not a one and done. It is a process. It is a lifestyle. And so what are some concrete things we can do? Some churches use a milestone ministry. 
Um, and that's a beautiful thing. A milestone ministry is where you do that parent-child dedication, commissioning, whatever you want to call it. It's called 50 different things. But this is a great time. Instead of just having parents come up and show off their baby and get a Bible and a rose, why not take it? This is what parents are open and vulnerable. Let's use that time for teaching them. How are you going to disciple this child in the first year of their life? You know, you use that big biblical levels of biblical learning chart, and I could, that's a whole nother conference too. If you want to know, go to Lifeway Levels of Biblical Learning. They have great training on that. These are some things you need to be teaching your zero to two year old. And this is even appropriate language. And it goes on up the line. But use, when you get a, uh, when you give your first graders or kindergartners their Bible, instead of just having them come up and smile and shake their hand, have a family event where you do a scavenger hunt throughout your church and you have to use your new Bible to find the answer to things, uh, to questions that, like you, uh, they have to find the Christmas story. They go to the nursery and they get the clue, find the uh, Christmas story. Or you, you want to f- help them find the psalm, so they do it in the choir loft where you sing a, choir, a song to God, which is what a psalm is. You know, and then you send them out to do Bible skill games and you help parents understand this is how you teach your child how to use their Bible. This is how you can use your Bible at home. And so take those milestone things and turn them into training events. That's one way to do it. But also just, you know, you have speakers in. Now you don't want to, like I said, you don't want to slam people's schedule with something every other week because they're not going to participate. Y'all know that. It's just fact. But how can you make it an event that they feel like it's worth their time to show up? You know, that it's quality. And so you, you feel, you, you offer them how-tos. Parents are struggling. Tell me what to do. I mean, even I have learned doing conferences that I can stand here and preach you a sermon, and when you leave, you'll go, wow, that was good. But what you really, really want from me is give me three things I can go back and do that I haven't thought about before. Am I honest? Yeah. Tell me what to do. And so that's what parents are looking for too. So give them, give them three things they can do. One of the things I have seen that I think would be very helpful is to create a resource area in your church, a place they can check out books or buy books. You know, there are no Christian bookstores anymore. And so, you know, maybe buy five books of something that you think would be helpful to parents and they can pay, you know, get it at cost. Um, Of course, I'm I'm showing my age again. DVDs or a recommended, um, you know, maybe there's a a video or a movie that they could stream. And your answer is to come up with five questions to talk to your kids about after they watch that movie. You know, it could be a fan. Or just good little pamphlets. Yeah. I find, Cheryl, a lot of the younger parents, they don't read books. No. So something that can be downloaded, they can listen to maybe in the car. Yeah. Brief little pamphlet podcast. Podcast. podcast yeah, let's let's hear from some of the the <laughs> Z's and the millennials here. Okay, you, some of you younger parents, for those of us <laughs> who do read books, um, except I don't read them anymore because I go to sleep. But um, what what are if you were addressing 
this group. What are some things that you would find helpful um, that your church could do for you as, as you parent? I can say two things that we're doing right now. Is one, we're doing we call it the living room, and we just set up a table, have coffee, tea. Uh, anybody who wants to come can come. There's a pastor there, and they have questions. They can ask questions. And it seems simple, but we've done it now a couple of times, and people come, and they, it's a floating thing. But they come and they stay for two hours, and then they come back the next week, and they're just talking. They'll talk about spiritual things. They'll talk about marriage. They'll talk about anything. So just giving a, a listening ear, and they thrived on it. Um, cool. Another one is we, we did some um, five-minute audio devotions. They will not go over five minutes. Yeah. And um, we've had a huge response to, to that. So, and they've all been what you talked about here with Deuteronomy 6. So, um, it doesn't take, I mean, you can record an entire week's worth of devotions in 30 minutes. Wow. And, and so, it's, it's really neat. Somebody else. That's great. Great ideas. Very doable. I think talking through some of those books you're talking about. And we were walking through it together, but that was okay because it yeah. actually gave a good platform for the young families that w did have children and were walking through this together. You know, it's like they already know each other, they serve yeah. together, they're in discipleship communities together. But it gave them a platform to talk to each other about hey, what are you struggling with? How's this principle that we're learning about working out for you? How's it working for you? So I do think that young families are willing to do that. I think that if it's a resource that's manageable, and easy and you've got somebody that's willing to break it apart for them and read it with them and walk through it with them, I do think that is still a good avenue. Yeah. I think there are some that are willing to read books. I think again it it's you know, if you're gonna commit to it, you know, if you're actually gonna do it, and then if you do fall behind, that's okay. You yeah. know, we'll we'll pick back up. Yeah. You know, you have the have the video have it recorded maybe and they can listen to it later or you know, just be a, be ready and approachable for them to come to you at some point and say, Hey, can we talk about these things? Yeah. You know? So I do think that books can still be an avenue. I just think that it depends on the, the, the setting and the way that you do it. Yeah. Um, but I do think that it's the whole in-community doing it together that makes the difference. Sure. I think like one of the challenges is getting people willing to buy into something enough to invest in it anymore, whether that be church or just a book. <laughs> you know, like but that if it, don't, if, it, if it ain't on a screen... And I can't get my answer within 30 seconds. I'm done with it. You know? And that goes back to having a really strong, succinctly, clearly worded, brief why. Get, you ha you're going to have to spend time helping people understand, accept, and buy into your why. Why is this critical? Why is this important? How is this going to benefit you? And so, yeah, that's a starting point. You start with why and work back from that. Uh, as someone who's 29 and a parent of two kids and yeah. a family, pastor seeing both sides, I, if someone handed me a book and said, all right, you need to read it, it's going to get thrown on the shelf. But if someone said, hey, can you meet up once every two weeks and we'll read a couple chapters at a time and we'll talk about it and talk about spiritual things and what the Lord showed me in your quiet time and things too, then um, I'm all on board. Okay. And then that person then takes the same resource and does it with somebody else. That's a discipleship model. Yeah, yeah. disciples who make disciples. And, and ideally, whoever you've shared it with is going to be equipped to turn around and share it with somebody else. 
That's the way Jesus did it. Um, I'll just say in general, just connect me with other couples my age that I can, that are in the same area of life, so that I can have somebody to kind of walk through it with. Um, that also has kids that are around my age, and we can we can grow in our faith together and figure out how to be parents together because we don't know what we're doing. So it's about relationship with other people. Now I want to. Okay, I'm gonna. I'm going to drill down into this a little bit more because people my age, I hear this and I'm thinking this is really cool. How does, where does that happen? How does it happen? What does it look like? What do I need to provide? Do I need to provide anything more than publicizing when the time for meeting is? You talking about life group? Yeah, like a life group um, kind of thing. Anywhere, anytime, anyway. It doesn't have to be at church. Yeah, it doesn't have to be at church. It doesn't have to be Sunday morning. Whoever can be. The coffee thing, like, or meeting. Um, I didn't see who said it, but whoever's talking about the meeting, like, every two weeks or something. Yeah. That would be, like, a good idea. There's some men around a bonfire on a Saturday night. Or yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the big thing is just having a plan. It doesn't have, you have to have some kind of framework, but it's one of the, what's the word, the, um, there's a word for it, a new word it's about more organic. More organic, yeah. Relational. Yeah. A natural relationship that's building there. Yeah. And sometimes at church, when it happens at church, like I said, we tend to think that what the way church is supposed to happen is somebody stands there and talks to you, or if you're not paying attention, they're talking at you. <laughs> but what families, what parents are looking for is engagement engagement with other families. But this is where people my age who've been there, done that, and are on the other side looking back, can offer some uh, experience and encouragement. Wisdom. Wisdom that um, can be missing. And there, I think there, there needs to be an element of not the expert, but just somebody who's been there, done that, got, you know, three t-shirts. So, and, that, and that's where, like, I've seen in life groups before where somebody with that experience being able to step in and just, it's, it's amazing how it just yeah. anchors everything. Right. And you can't quite put your finger on how or why or what it, what, how it, it's. It just, ha that's a God thing. Yeah. It goes back to that generational thing, too. Yeah. It's, of course, within the family structure, that generational discipleship, but. It's within the church too, the church family. Yeah. You can have that. Yeah. But I think sometimes churches don't understand how important this is, for one thing, and the role that they can play in making it happen. That it doesn't have to be a huge budget line, that this is just about, it's an, almost an awareness piece. That this is a need, and what can we do to meet it? This is that vision for what do parents who make disciples at home look like? Our church, you know, there's this piece in this picture that says that they are equipped to do that. So what does that equipping look like? And it may look like one thing in your church and something very different in your church. You know, one church it may be you bring in speakers and people just sit and listen. It may be you have some uh, experienced parents who lead a small group discussion. Um, 
So it, 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 in another church, it may, there may be a piece of it where it's a resource room um, or a list. It may be a podcast that somebody in your church does or, or suggested podcast list that you, you know, you can always put that in the bulletin. It doesn't have to be a big deal. You know, podcast of the week or, or you know, that you're going to listen to. And it may be you put it there and then on Tuesday nights, whoever wants to gathers at uh, a coffee house and we're going to discuss what you listen to. So um, all these things, it's just being willing to recognize the need and think outside the box. What are we going to do to equip parents to be disciple makers at home? I think a lot of parents want to do it, but we, we'll be honest. You, Arvel sitting there, Jeff was sitting there. We are from a generation of children's ministry leaders who said, bring your kids to church and we got you covered. Is that one hour, there used to be a commercial, one hour martinizing, dry cleaning. Bring your kids here for one hour and we're going to send them back clean and you don't have to do anything. And so this generation of parents um, were not discipled by their parents because we told them to bring them to church. And so they don't know how to disciple at home. I mean, we admit major fault in that. I do. I did what I was taught to do, but it wasn't the right thing. And so it's almost like now we have to go back and do some remedial parenting, remedial discipleship parenting. And so this is where you as a church leader can provide that resource for parents so that we're correcting a mistake made in the past. Because we know that what happened with the people of Israel, within a generation, they, they no longer followed God. Because they did not do what He commanded. Several times over. Too. Yeah, several times over. And they just continued to, to err over and over and over. Um, I've got more to talk about. This has been fantastic. I wish I'd had another half hour with y'all. Uh, the big thing is Deuteronomy 6-7, repeat and talk. You say it over and over. Help parents understand it's, it's never a one and done. You don't want them to become a nag, don't get me wrong. But it needs to be that impress. It's like water on a rock. It's over and over and over and over that you say this, that you teach it. Um, we recognize that preschoolers learn best through repetition. Again, it's not. A, didn't I tell you last week? Maybe you did, but tell me again today. So, um, and this is just sort of how do you talk to parents? There are some parents who need to know how to have a conversation with their kids without getting irritated. That's a topic, believe it or not, unfortunately. And then sit at home and walk down the road, which means when you're not at home. So it's when you're at home, when you're not at home. It's what time falls in between at home and not at home? No time. So that means it's constant. It's all the time. Uh, we recognize that the Hebrew day began at sundown. So this is why this starts with sit at home. Because that's the start of their day. They're at home. It's nighttime. It's ready to go to bed. Talk about it then. Um, parents need to ask themselves, is there a home, a place that their kids want to be? And they also need to ask, do they have time to sit at home? Y'all know, all know parents who are on the go. And so that may be, if they're not going to sit at home, that their discipleship happens when they walk down the road. And um, 
lie down and when you get up, that's family worship. A great, you're talking about little books, a great little book by Don Whitney is called um, Family Worship. And his premise comes down to three points. What is family worship? You read, pray, sing. I always think of Julia Roberts and eat, eat pray, love. But it's, it's read, pray, sing. Those are the foundations. It's not a three-point sermon. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be some... Dad, ideally, it's led by dad, but it doesn't have to be. Um, what I would love is the idea that when your kids get older, they take turns leading worship. This is the way you're teaching them how to disciple their kids. That's generational uh, discipleship at its best. And Family Worship by Don Whitney. Donald Whitney. It's just a little book. Uh, and then use what you've got at hand. I, you know, first of all, you're going to start with your Bible. Or a, a good, if you have younger kids, a good, well-written Bible storybook. Um, Christian music, videos, games, crafts, scripture memorization. Um, again, it goes back to what we were doing in the first session. Not only do you memorize the words, you talk about what it means and how is it, how are you, is it going to show up in life. And you can use devotion guides, all kinds of things. Just use what you've got. Just do something. Sure, one thing we did this year, uh, we had not done an Advent read in the worship service, but our new pastor brought that in. Yeah. We did a family Advent read workshop with uh, 50-some families, uh, parents attending. And I've had several parents said we were not doing family devotions. The Christmas season got us into, cool. and when January came, we just kept going. How about that? That's awesome. I know, I've heard of somebody who did a thing for Easter, and it's not too late to start it. They did sort of, a, they called it a reverse Advent wreath, yeah. where you start with all the candles lit, and then and you have the reading as the week goes. It, it, you extinguish a candle so that Good Friday is dark, and then Easter Sunday you light all the candles again. So, you know, so there's all kinds of things you could do, you know, like I said, 12 stones, go, go to the rock store and buy you some rocks. But um, the biggest thing is just to find a way to do it. Um, we'll close with this from uh, Deuteronomy 6, 24 through 25. It says, the Lord commanded us to follow all these statutes and to fear the Lord our God for our prosperity always and for our preservation as it is today. Righteousness will be ours if we are careful to follow every one of those commands before the Lord our God as He has commanded us. This is not an option. It wasn't an option for them. He commanded them. They chose to make it an option and they dealt with the consequences. But create, helping our families create a culture of discipleship at home is critical. And we can play a huge role in that. Just as God had to give... Um, the Hebrews direction as they enter the promised land we can give our families direction in how to create that culture of discipleship at home so, thank you guys and I hope you enjoy your afternoon thank you. what was the name of that small book you mentioned it's called Family Worship, Family Worship. yeah it's by Donald Whitney